Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Yeah, you can clap too. That was awesome. It was good to worship this morning. Yeah, it's good to be together. I'm going to pray that this thing stays together. All right, uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Who's tuning in later? Anybody? Anybody grilling right now and you got to get back to it and that's a part of it? Uh, quick survey. Who, who's got St. Louis? Who's got, or St. Louis? They're not St. Louis anymore. Where are they? They're in LA. Where am I? <laughs> who's got LA? Who's got LA? Who's got Cincinnati? Okay, who's just in it for the food? That's me. Okay, sorry. Until the Bears are back in the Super Bowl, it's just a wash. Uh, we got some fun stuff we're going to do. Guys, this is New Series Day, which is like Christmas for me. We are going to be diving first, head first into our Philippians Masterclass. First and foremost, okay, hang on. I need your help. Everybody in here, if you're a woo person, I need you to woo. If you clap, clap. But let's just welcome people online and in our outdoor venue. Ready? Go. Yeah. Hey, guys. We love you. If you're in our outdoor venue, we see you. We love you. We're glad you're here. If you are watching online somewhere, just want you to know we love you online. You are our honored guests. Let me do a special online shout out to Linda Castillo. This is crazy. We got a call this week from somebody and they're like, hey, I'm a part of your church. You just haven't met me yet. And I've been following along online and I'd like to join one of your community groups. And that just happened this week. And so Linda, we love you. We hope you love your group. Uh, if you don't like it, just tell Jeremy. It's his fault, okay? That being said, I'll pray. We'll dive in. we got a lot to do, and I'll get you in time, home in time for the Super Bowl. It's going to be a blast. Let's study the Bible. Go. Uh, God and Father, uh, we need you. We love you. If anything is going to come from this series, it is going to be because your Holy Spirit was here teaching us filling us, bringing these words to life. God, I just pray as we dive in, it would be you here speaking to us and not me. Um, God, as we look at these words in Philippians, I pray that they would stir great faith in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The little church in Philippi is made up of former convicts, former prison guards, also some sailors, some retired soldiers, some merchants, and some of the baddest women in the New Testament. They sit on the north shore of the Aegean Sea in Macedonia, and this little group started out with so much power and potential. God moved in these big and powerful ways in the church of Philippi, and with miracles and powerful expressions, the Holy Spirit did things. Testimonies were written on these people's hearts. They saw things that there was no other way to explain other than the name of Jesus. The things that Jesus did were not just out there things, they were in here things. And this group had a faith that was authentic and contagious and raw, but it was only a matter of time before some things happened. Rome happened. Oppression happened. Apathy happened. Some time went by. And this little group of Jesus followers began to dwindle. Oh, not just in their numbers, but in their faith. This fire that God had started in Philippi has now dwindled down to a little spark. Quite possibly the number one thing holding these people back. Quite possibly the number one thing that has stolen the fire from this beautiful little church is they've watched what happened to their pastor. Paul and Timothy and 
Some other missionaries land in town. They start this church. This Paul would bond this group of Jesus followers together. He would shepherd them. He would invest in them. Their faith would grow. He would feed them the Word and teach them the way and will of Jesus. And, and he would say things like, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And he would say things like, don't worry about what to do next. Just follow my example as I follow Jesus Christ. But what happens when the one who started your church and raises you to life follows Jesus all the way to the urine-stained floors of the Mamertine prison in Rome. Paul would follow Jesus. He would establish his church. They would love one another. And he would follow Jesus all the way to prison for proclaiming the name of Jesus as king in Rome where it's only Caesar who should be king. And now they're wondering where they go next. They're wondering how they are supposed to live a faith when they just watched their faith live this man to his eventual execution. We were talking last week, the band and I were talking about um, Disney movies that have made us cry. And Moana got me. I mean, Up got If Up didn't get you, I can't help you. We'll be praying for you. But you know which one got me? The Lion King. And you have Simba and he's away from home and running from everything that he was made to be. And there's that scene where he's off and he's out in the stars and they're up in the sky and he misses his dad. And he remembers the strength that he enjoyed from his father. And it was like, the one that got me into this was supposed to be getting me through this, but he's gone now. And he looks into the sky and he says, you said you'd always be there. And that has to be how these Philippian people feel without Paul. But then one day, a courier arrives in the outskirts of Philippi. You've got to remember this is a time where mail is rare. It's no USPS running around on a daily basis. Oh, to see somebody carrying mail, you would know that something important had happened. To see somebody carrying mail, he would be accompanied by several armed guards because if you had money to send mail, you're going to spend a little extra to make sure that your message made it to where it was supposed to go. And a courier would arrive on the outskirts of Philippi and they'd say, where are those Christianos? It was many Christians, little Christ. It wasn't a cute thing when Christians were first called Christians. It was actually a pejorative term made to belittle them. Where are those little people acting like Jesus at? And without a doubt, this courier would be led to the house of Lydia. Lydia was the first convert to Jesus in the town of Philippi. She then used her business trading cloths in her home. And she opens her home to this first group of believers. And this courier would arrive in town and he would knock on the door and somebody in Lydia's household would answer and they would say to this family, hey, we have a letter for you. They go, who's it from? His name is Paul. And he's with some guy named Timothy. I don't know his story, but he's locked up in Rome. Lydia and her household would send people running in every direction to tell every last believer in town, not just the active ones, people who were on the church roster months and months and years and years ago, you guys, we've got a letter from Paul. A letter in itself would be enough to draw everybody from around town to come and hear what was going on. But a letter from Paul to this group of people would have been a game changer. You're going to organize your life and your week around what is in this letter. And the believers would assemble in a group and 
from Rome, this letter would be opened up from the leather satchel and the scroll would be unfolded and they would hear these words. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Jesus Christ at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through and carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. I'm in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Welcome to Philippians Masterclass. Here's the plan. We said at the very beginning of our relaunch, we wanted to get some things right as a church community when we came back into existence. And one of the things we said we want to do really, really well is ministry to students and kids. Shout out to, this is your student house, worship youth, whatever. Come on, Momentum Youth shirt, and we'll talk more about that. But let me just remind you that our summer trip signups have now started. We want to do that really well. But one thing we said we knew coming back was we are going to lift up the Word of God like we never have before. We are a Bible church. We are a church that believes in the supremacy of the Word of God, that it is inspired, that it is holy. This is like no other book, and we're going to treat it that way. So then I was like, oh, I know what we need to do. Let's do a sermon series where we talk about how important the Bible is. And I was like, nope, better idea. Let's just get into the Bible and learn as we go and let the Bible speak for itself. Enter the series Philippians Masterclass. So here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be studying the Bible and at the same time learning how to study the Bible. You tracking? We're going to be learning on the job. So we're going to be learning Philippians, but at the same time, we're going to be learning how to study the Bible. Because you guys, if this is the only Bible you get during the week, you will starve to death. Hear me. If this is the only Bible intake you get during the week, you will not make it. That being said, your first Bible study lesson of the Philippians Masterclass is this. Context is king. Okay, you can write it if you're a note taker, or you could just say it with me on three. One, two, three. Context is king. No, say it like you believe it. Context is king. What does that mean? When you are studying the Bible, context matters. When you want to understand, let's say you came to me with a verse, and you're like, Matt, I do not understand this verse. The first thing I'd tell you to do is read the verse before, then your verse, then the verse after. And you're like, hey, that kind of helped. What else? I'd say, read the paragraph before, then the paragraph after and see what happens to your verse. You go, wow, I'm starting to get it. I go, no, 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 watch this, watch this. Read the chapter before, the chapter after, then rethink your verse, and you will have a whole new insight and look at your verse because in Scripture, context is king. Now, 
our context, here, here's what you need to know. As the story I told you says, this book is for us, but it was not written to us. Did you catch that? This is a real piece of mail. God used the Holy Spirit to write it through a man named Paul. It was sent to a church who read it together. So this was written to them, but because it's the inspired word of God, it is also for us. So now what we got to do is get the context. What is the occasion? What is going on? Who are these people? What happened in their lives? Where did it come from? Glad you asked. If you're a note taker, write down Acts chapter 16. If you were to flip in your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 16, Acts tells where this little church came from. So you guys, books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Well, guess what? Like, you know how in Star Wars, they, they keep making Star Wars that tell you what happened next? The book of Acts is like the sequel. What's the ones that are called after it? Sequel? It's not the prequel. Sequel, yeah. Okay, the book of Acts is like what happened right after Jesus. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are telling you about the work of Christ. The book of Acts tells you of the work of the Holy Spirit continuing the work of Christ. And so in Acts 16, we get where these, where these people, where Philippi, how it became a church and everything happened. Well, how did, well, what happened in Acts 16? I'm glad you asked. Paul, Timothy, Silas, and, and, uh, and Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, are all traveling together as missionaries. And then they have what we call a Macedonian moment. You might have heard that phrase if you've been around the faith for a little bit, but they're essentially praying about where they go next. So they're together, and they're like, Holy Spirit, lead us. Where do you want us to send your, share your gospel? They really wanted to go to Asia, but it says the Holy Spirit did not allow them to go to Asia. Then they really want to go to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit doesn't allow them to go to Bithynia. And they're like, well, where do we go? They don't hear anything from God, and so they go to Troas, which I find amazing because Troas is the Rosarito of the New Testament. They're like, I don't really know what to do. So let's go get a coconut drink, hang out by the beach for a few days, refuel, and see if God says something. And, 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 and so they do. And so they go to Troas. They're there. They're praying. They're in a hammock. Paul falls asleep in the hammock. And one day, he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a man from Macedonia begging him to come and share the gospel in Macedonia. And so they go, boom, guys, we got it. Macedonia. So a, a Macedonian moment would be like, if I thought my life was going to do this, and then I kept hitting a roadblock, and then I kept hitting a roadblock, it stopped me. I was in a Interrupted, I stopped and I asked God, and then I was redirected. My Macedonian moment, I was 18 years old. I was wounded by the church as a child. I had made a commitment in the sixth grade to never go back to a church. I had a plan for my life that involved making as much money as I possibly could, and then wham, I met Jesus. 20 years later, I'm still serving the church. It's my Macedonian moment. By the way, let that just say to you, if things aren't working right now, it doesn't mean God is gone. If you feel like you keep hitting closed doors, it could very well be God saying, no, 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 no. I've got something so much better for you. If you keep feeling like you're stuck and things aren't working, it could very well be God values you and your purpose on earth so much. He cannot let you go through that door because he's got something far better from you. Guys, we're in the context and this is a good sermon already. Like you, if that's for free right there. We're not, that's, that's just the appetizer, okay? I try... Help me out here. So they go, 
uh, to Macedonia. They go to the town of Philippi. And you get to Philippi, and Paul's got the same MO. He goes to the synagogues where all the Jewish believers would be. He preaches the news of Christ to the Jewish believers. Boom, baptizes them. Sometimes it goes great. Sometimes it doesn't. Well, they go to Philippi, and there's no synagogue there. Why? You have to have at least 10 Jewish families in a town to have a synagogue, which means Philippi is mostly Greek and Gentile in its background. And so they go looking around. They're like, anybody here know any Jewish people? And they're like, oh yeah, they hang out by the river and they pray. And so they go down to the river and this actually happens and they find this little group of Jewish believers and they start preaching the gospel. And so in Acts 16, verse 14, it says, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thy... I can't pronounce that one. From the city of T, named Lydia. A dealer in purple cloth, she was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she heard, when she and the members of her household, oh, when she heard and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Boom, first people, first gospel, first outreach happening through this woman named Lydia, dealer in purple cloths. We believe her to be very wealthy, and we'll see that the Philippian church was also one of the most generous churches in the New Testament. Probably has something to go to back to this bad woman of God who did amazing things with her life. Now, they're staying there, and then something interesting happens. They're minding their business, they're meeting new people in this town, and there's this young woman, uh, we'd believe her to be about 14 to 17-ish, possessed by an evil spirit that allows her to tell fortunes. I have no idea how that works, but it's what's happening. So she can tell fortunes, and there's this group of men, she's their servant, they are exploiting her, making money off of her, having her tell fortunes. And so she's walking around, she has, there's some sort of spiritual encounter between the Spirit of God and these early believers, and this evil spirit that's trapped inside, however that works, with this woman, however it all comes out, she follows them around town screaming, these are men of God telling you how to be saved. These are men of God telling you how to be saved. These are men of God telling you how to be saved. These are men of God. And this goes on for days. Now, Paul casts the spirit out of this young lady. And the story is hilarious. You should go back and read it. Because you would think it's like, how do we do this? And you know, Hollywood's filling up your mind with the exorcist, and so there's a bed and candles and some weird voice. That's not how it actually happens in Scripture. That's Hollywood, not Scripture. These are men of God. Paul has a headache. He's literally so annoyed. He's like, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to eat dinner. Get out of here. Boom, spirit leaves the woman. She's restored, made healthy and new. She's okay now. All of a sudden, all the men who were making a profit out of the spirit that was living in this young lady have an issue with it. So they formed this mob and they said, these evil Jewish people have come to our town and they're spreading these heinous beliefs and if we don't stop them, then they're going to keep messing up your business and your livelihood and none of us are going to be able to eat and we're all going to have these huge problems. And so they get this mob together. The mob would attack uh, Paul and Silas and, and they, they beat them. They're locked in stocks in a prison where their feet are locked together. It's a bad deal back then because the prisons were so unsanitary. Your back is bleeding and they're sitting in this jail, laying on their backs. They're singing hymns in this jail, and all of a sudden, uh, the other prisoners start going, wait, who are you talking about? And they're like, Jesus. And they're like, 
How, why are you singing right now? Because he saved us. Like, saved you from what? Well, our sins. What do you mean your sins? You know how that you got in this jail? Yeah, what if you could walk out of here completely free and forgiven? Who's this Jesus you're talking about? They're sharing Jesus. They're singing hymns. In the middle of the night in this jail, an earthquake happens. In the middle of the jail, boom, all the doors fly open. Every last door in the jail. Now, if that's me, I'm like, thank you, Lord, and I'm moving to the next town, okay? Not Paul. He sits down in the jail and he goes, hey, everybody, my God has been doing stuff like this all the time. And, and I think he's probably up to something. And, and so um, the jailer goes down and he sees the commotion and it's his job to watch all these prisoners. And, and then he looks and he sees all the doors are open. And it says that he even draws his sword out to take his own life because he knows that if these prisoners break free, then it's going to be his life. So he pulls out a sword to take his own life. And in verse 29, Acts, 6, uh, 20, or yes, Acts 16, verse 29, it says the jailer called for the lights and fell trembling before Paul in silence. See, as he was about to take his own life, Paul calls out, the man hears him, and he says, hey, 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 don't do anything, we're all here. This jailer realizes that Paul could have ended everything for him, but he didn't. And he has to know why. The jailer calls for the right lights, he rushes in, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately, he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. And it is this group of prisoners, jailers, soldiers, merchants, and bad women of Jesus that would form the Philippian church. Now, I just want to unpack some of the themes you're going to see. We're quick, guys. We're going to be out of here in no time. I'm going to give you three themes that you will see in the book of Philippians. So here's how these themes work. I'm going to give you these themes, write them down, and then as you're reading through Philippians, you go, oh, this is one of those. Oh, this is one of these moments. And it's going to give you categories that are going to enrich your understanding of the Bible because now you know its context and you know what you can be pulling from it as we work our way through. Okay, theme number one, Jesus over everything. Oh, what a coincidence. Um, let me just tell you, these are the shirts that they wear in Momentum Youth and our summer trips are coming up any minute now and you don't want to miss out because these trips are transformative in the lives of our young people. And how'd that slide get right there at this point in the... Okay, I don't know, man, but, but I'm just saying you might want to check out these trips, but there is a theme that is in fact in the Bible, in the book of Philippians, Jesus over everything. Let's go back to Philippians 3, 7 through 9 that I read in, in our communion time. Paul would say this in Philippians chapter 3, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider him garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness 
of my own, underline it, just get to chapter 3 and underline that. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which came through faith in Christ. Translation. Look at me really quick. You get into heaven with a blood test, not a resume. There is no amount of religious achievement. There's no, you're not, nobody's going to check your church attendance. Nobody's going to check your giving records. Nobody's going to check how many cuss words you said per minute in, in 2020. Nobody's going to check on where you were and what you did. There is but one question that you will be asked, and it is, who is Jesus to you? It's Jesus over everything. And I love this coming from Paul because if there was a self-righteous stair step you could climb up, he reached the top and he found that he had just climbed up a huge pile of arrogance, was sitting there wasting his life away in pride and self-righteousness and Jesus loved him anyways and for the rest of his life he was transformed and he's saying guys i reached the top and there's nothing up there none of it compares with knowing jesus here you go jesus is our salvation our hope and our joy he is our salvation we are saved by grace through faith we are saved by turning over our lives to him not by trying to earn it we are saved because he died on a cross a substitutionary death for us to give us new names and welcome us into his family. How do you get in? How do you say yes to Jesus? You say, I don't want to do this anymore. You do it. He wants your whole life. You give him your whole life and he'll give you more than you could ever ask or imagine in return. That's being saved. And you follow him. He is our hope. You'll see over and over in this book, it is written from the urine-soaked floor of a dark prison. And for some strange reason, the man writing the letter is doing just fine. Because Jesus is not only a salvation, He is a hope. Your salvation is a deposit. Your salvation, all of the joy and the transformation and the character and the freedom... They're, they're just like a down payment on what is coming to you and for you one day in heaven. And he is our joy. And again, this is a mystery we will unpack over the next nine weeks. But somehow, this book written from the floor of that prison is known formally as the book of joy. We, in, in four chapters, guys, we got four chapters in joy and rejoice, which is to rejoy 16 times. Four times a chapter, almost every other paragraph is about the concept of joy. And I don't want to steal from the weeks coming, but suffice it to say, apparently it is possible in Jesus to find a joy that is bigger than your circumstances. A joy that cancer can't take. That COVID can't take. That unemployment can't take from you. That, that me messed up backward circumstances cannot rob you. We together are going to learn how to lay hold of that joy. Theme number two. We're called to a deep faith. We are called to a deep, rich faith that will cost you something eventually. 
It's in chapter 2 where Paul will write the words in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in his appearance as a man he humbled himself becoming obedient to death even death on a cross and therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every other name. And Paul is going to say, you can't look at that Savior and then go do American recreational Christianity on the weekends. You can't see the Son of God leave heaven get down here and get his nails dirty and get betrayed and get his feelings hurt and live in obscurity and be misunderstood and, and abandoned by his good friends. You, you can't watch the Savior look at his mother in the eyes and say, I'm sorry, this is going to hurt really, really bad, but this is how it has to be because I came from my Father and I'm going back to Him and I've got a work to do. And that work is a cross. The work wasn't starting a Christian publication ministry and putting mail in mailboxes and distributing newsletters. The work was an agonizing death on a cross. And you're going to hear Paul say, don't look at our Savior and think that you've been called the backpack faith. You know backpack faith, right? You don't look at a crucified backpack faith is when I pick up my faith when I really, really need it and, and I, I kind of like, oh gosh, like I got that test coming up and my, my uncle's sick and you know the, the cancer spread. Hang on, God, we got, we got some work to do. Could you take care of this for them? And could you take care of that test? And we got the test. Oh, it's the weekend? Hang on, I'll be back. Oh my gosh, we got, we've been working hard and this is my weekend and, and I earned it and I achieved it and I'm doing what I want to do. And then, wait, what's that? Oh, our kids got, a, our kids got anxiety? Oh, hold on, hold on, I got just a thing. God, we got the kid with anxiety here, and could you, man, I've never been through something like this before, and would you mind if you could just get involved in this one? And, and, and the backpack version of faith, which says, let me just pick this up when it's convenient, and let me put this down when I've got some things that I want to do for me. Paul says, you put your backpack at the foot of the cross and let it be crucified too, because that's got no place here. You can't look at Philippians 2 and do some sprinkles faith. You know sprinkles faith, right? You got the ice cream, and here's my life, and I kind of scooped it out just how I like it. And oh, there's this part, oh, I need God to bless that though. Let's get a little, let's get a little God on there. Oh my God, oh, hey, uh, well, we're going to settle down, and so time, might as well bring him back in. A, we don't want to, we still like to, we still like our time. You know, we need our time. But you know what? I don't want, the, I don't want this marriage to fail, so I'm going to put a little God on it. Oh, we've been called to something so much bigger than sprinkling a little God on the parts of our lives where we've already made ourselves God. You don't look at a man on his face in a prison cell saying, follow me as I follow Jesus and do sprinkles faith or do backpack faith. 
we follow Jesus. And we follow him even when it costs us something. Third thing, you're going to see this all over this book. Our pain always serves to advance God's purpose. Our pain, when it's surrendered to Christ, always serves to advance God's purpose. I'll show you. Philippians 1, verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, pause. Okay, now we know context. We know what happened to Paul. He followed Jesus to his prison cell and eventual execution. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me is serving presently a purpose that's bigger than me. The pain I am experiencing right now in my life is attached to a purpose for this life that is bigger than I could ever imagine. Now we get this. Hang on, time out. You guys are good, devoted Jesus followers. I know you, and I know your stories. And so I know we usually get this after the bad things happened, and then we look back at it and we go, oh, man, I'm so glad that happened because if that didn't happen, then that's Romans 5, right? You guys know the Romans 5, like we boast in our sufferings because they produce perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, and hope doesn't put us to shame. You, I, I know you guys came in here knowing that. Uh, you're going through it bad. You look back one day and then boom, you'll go, holy cow, God was using that this whole time. You guys knew that when you came in here, but Paul is doing something different. Paul is in the middle of the pain. And yet his eyes are open in real time to the way that God wants to use the interruption and the inconvenience to do something bigger than him. He would say, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard that I'm in chains for Christ. Paul's purpose, hear this, his purpose was to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to the entire Roman world. And so he has this setback, which is called prison. And he goes, you, you read chapter one, he goes, you guys, you're never going to believe this. You, this is crazy. I wanted to preach the gospel to the entire, my goal is to look Nero in the eyes one day and tell him Jesus is Lord. And this is so crazy. They keep bringing in new guards every three hours and they tie my ankle to his ankle. And guess what I'm telling them? I'm telling him he's changed me. I'm telling him he's freed me. I'm telling you, I deserved it the least and he loved me the most. Okay, I'll see you in three hours. Bring in John. Hey, John, let me tell you about my Savior. Let me tell you how he helped me. Let me tell you how he freed me. And he goes, it's become clear, not through the jail, but through the whole palace guard, which means the word of the gospel is slowly creeping towards Nero in his own home. And Paul goes, oh, don't worry about me, my friends. This pain is doing exactly what God put me on earth to do. You get it for him. But do you get it for you? Because some of you, your job is not to preach the gospel to Rome. It's to be, it is to be the most loving, charitable leader in your office in the marketplace. 
For some of you, it's to teach. For some of you, it's to love. For some of you, it's to parent. For some of you, it's healthcare. For some of you, it's a host of other things. That's not the point. The point is, God wants to use the present pain to propel you into His purposes for your life. And what would happen if you became the kind of Jesus follower who would walk in to the pain in real time, knowing whether you could see it or not, God's using the interruption to do everything in you and through you He set out to do. You know why this matters? It matters because the last 24 months have left some of you feeling like you're not where you're supposed to be. And it's a present feeling that things are supposed to be different. But here's the truth. For some of us, if we were not where we are now and we're in that place that we feel like we're supposed to be, you wouldn't be comfortable there either. And if you would open your eyes to the God who uses the interruptions, the inconveniences, and the pain to advance His purposes, you could quit wishing you were somewhere else and embrace all of the beautiful things He wants to do with you right here. That's faith, guys. And that's life. It is walking in active trust. Saying, I have no clue where this is all going. How this will all work out. But I've bet my life on the God who turns pain into purpose. That's where faithfulness takes place. That's what we're going to be called to over the next nine weeks. Would you guys stand? We're going to sing one last song together. I'll pray and then we're going to move into a song. God, I just thank you for this church family for the different lives and the different stories and ways you've brought us together from so many different places. God, I pray even today our eyes would open up to your purpose in our pain. I pray your Holy Spirit would raise a faith in us like that in Paul that says, I'm not where I should be, but I'm where God needs, to be, needs me to be and that's okay. Open our eyes, God. Speak to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.